Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is March 17th, 2023. I thank you for joining me. Hope all is well in your world. Uh, And boy, oh boy, we are off to the races. Um, I think you have to be living under a rock or something to not understand the many threats that America and Americans face, uh, especially in this perilous era. But let's begin with the nightmare on the border. And by the way, when we speak about the border, it is not only the southern border. I'm still trying to understand how in the world the entire focus of the media, if they're willing to talk about immigration, and if they're willing to talk about border security, limit their concerns to the southern border of the United States and ignore all the other elements of what should be an immigration system that uh, deals with far more than just the U.S.-Mexican border. It's astonishing, you know. Uh, We we saw this, by the way, in the run-up to efforts 20 years ago, nearly 20 years ago, to pass comprehensive immigration reform. The Democrats and Republicans got together. If you remember the infamous Gang of Eight, I came to call them the Eight Gangsters. It included the late Senator John McCain, Lindsey Graham, Chuck Schumer, um, eight characters who are globalists. And they kept saying, well, once we secure the Mexican border, then we can proceed with comprehensive reform and give unknown millions of illegal aliens who snuck into the country lawful status. No one ever explained how this would be helpful to America or Americans. All that we heard about is they're here, and this way somehow we'll know who's here and we'll end the immigration problem. Sure, you'll legalize everything that's illegal, then you have zero crime. Years ago, I wrote an article about it. I said, we could have a zero crime rate in our cities if we declared, or if our leaders so-called declared all of our criminal statutes null and void. So if you do that, then nobody's violating the law, nobody gets punished. You could say that the crime rate had fallen through the floor, right? But meanwhile, you'd need a shotgun to go out and purchase a container of milk or some other groceries. Uh, And tragically, around the country, uh, that's pretty much where we are. Chicago, New York, San Francisco, Bedlam, mayhem, carnage on an unprecedented level, drugs flowing freely into the United States, killing over 100,000 people per year. And somehow we're supposed to be excited and ecstatic because the woke policies from the radical left um, have done this to us. And look, full disclosure, if you're familiar with my program, you know that I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. This is not what the Democrat Party was ever about before. They've lost their moral compass. They've lost their collective minds. The government's first obligation should be to its own citizens, and that obligation should begin with providing for safety and security. Safety first. In fact, I made that very point at one of my very first congressional hearings. 
I said that most sensible people live their lives by that principle. If you can't provide a safe, wholesome environment for your children, it doesn't matter what expensive sneakers you purchase for them or where you take them on vacation. If you can't provide for their safety, uh, there's a good chance that child welfare will take custody of your kids because that is the primary responsibility of parents towards their children. That is also the primary responsibility of governments towards their citizens to provide for the safety of their citizens. If you can't provide for the safety of your citizens, nothing else matters. And somehow we've been sold this bill of goods. Oh, my goodness, we have to legalize everybody. And once we get the border secure, so we're back to that again. And I've written about this. And you've had Democrats and Republicans, we're going to secure the border, uh, but that's the first goal, and then we'll see what we can do. Really? And what border exactly are we talking about? Why are we only looking at the southern border when we know that increasing numbers of Border Patrol agents are being sent to the northern border because the northern border is in a state of chaos? And the thing that nobody really wants to talk about is how this administration's policies uh, in particular, are admitting, you know, hundreds of thousands of aliens into the United States. Um, and, and what's the vetting process? I'd like to know, by the way, what the vetting process is for these so-called asylum seekers being admitted into the United States. That's what we're hearing. We are encountering them. We are processing them. What's the process? Why is nobody in Congress, why is nobody in the media questioning what is the process that you're using to, quote, process the asylum seekers who are entering really illegally? We're letting them in. We shouldn't be. It's a violation of law. It's a violation of the fundamental principles of the immigration system to provide for public health, public safety, national security, and the jobs and wages of Americans. And if you don't believe me, go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, because it enumerates the categories of aliens who are supposed to be excluded from the United States. There isn't a single word about race, religion, or ethnicity. This is about keeping out aliens who have criminal histories, aliens with dangerous communicable diseases, those who are severely mentally ill, those who are terrorists and spies and human rights violators and war criminals, fugitives from justice, and ultimately we work our way down to aliens who, if they work, would displace Americans uh, and or drive down the wages of Americans who are similarly employed. We're not seeing that at all. What we're being told is that there are record numbers of encounters. I love that term. It sounds like a single mixer, right? How many encounters are we having? So record numbers of encounters with illegal aliens on the southern border who are being processed and then permitted into the country. Why is nobody asking what the process is? Shortly after the terror attacks of 9-11, in fact, it was six months to the day after the attacks, to everyone's horror, it was discovered that two of the dead terrorists, Mohammed Atta and Marwan al-Shahi, had been granted authorization to attend flight school, of all things, in the United States. This was six months after the attacks. By then, both of these pieces of garbage were dead. And everybody knew they were terrorists. And in fact, Mohammed Atta was the ringleader. And in fact, Mohammed Atta was in the cockpit of one of the airplanes that struck the World Trade Center. And Marwan al-Shahi was in the cockpit of the other airplane that struck the other tower at the World Trade Center complex. I was called to testify at that hearing. 
And one of the issues that I raised in my testimony is the need to make certain that any alien who seeks that immigration benefit of any sort, permission to go to school, permission to get a green card, political asylum, you name it, should have to be carefully screened through databases, through DNA, whatever means possible, so that we don't allow people to wander around our country who pose a threat to our security. How difficult is that for anyone to understand? And what we also know is that on a routine basis, Customs and Border Protection legally, legally admit tons of aliens each and every day into the United States. And before the Biden administration uh, was, in, was um, sworn in, it was believed that roughly half of all illegal aliens in the United States did not run the borders, but were admitted through ports of entry and subsequently violated the terms of their admission. They overstayed their visas. That's the common situation. Oh, yeah, they overstayed. The bigger deal is maybe they committed crimes or maybe they took jobs they weren't authorized to take and so forth. Okay? So this is a big deal. It's not a minor issue. Most of the terrorists who entered the United States, in point of fact, um, were able to enter the country by lying about their identities, uh, getting visas by concealing material facts and so forth. So I went to the Customs and Border Protection website not long ago, and here's something that's interesting. They posted this. On a typical day in fiscal year 2022, that's last year, CBP, that's Customs and Border Protection, processed, this is in one day, 868,867 passengers and pedestrians. Of those, 263,000 were incoming international air passengers and crew. 58,549 passenger and crew arrived on ships or boats, and 547,311 were incoming land travelers. Oh, uh, 868,000, over 868,000 were legally admitted into the United States, or at least they were processed, and then they talked about how many people were denied entry, okay? But that's a huge number. We're talking about nearly a million people per day coming in through ports of entry or applying to come in through ports of entry. Don't you think someone ought to look at those numbers and review the process by which aliens are being vetted by the inspectors at the ports of entry by CBP? I did that job for four years as an immigration inspector way back in the early 70s. It's a daunting task. You have about a minute to make a decision as to whether or not to admit an alien into the United States. A minute. And if you send too many people to what they call secondary, where you can do a more in-depth inspection, most of my bosses would be very displeased if you send too many people out there. Back then, before 9-11, we were told, oh, resolve the issue in the, on the line. If you think the guy is shady, don't give him six months. Limit him to three weeks. Three weeks. The guy wants three minutes on the other side of the doors. Because once they get past the inspections process, there's no one to look for them in this game of hide-and-seek, especially with the Biden administration. But have you heard anybody anywhere talking about the 868,000, whatever, that was back in 2022, maybe the numbers are higher now, and asking how carefully were they screened? 
how many people have not left when they were supposed to or otherwise violated their status. This is a big deal because the 9-11 Commission made it clear that most of the terrorists, at least back then, entered the United States not by running our borders, but by arriving through international airports. We're going to to examine that today. I I want to connect the dots once again. Because all that we're hearing is the southern border. The southern border, the southern border, and that includes Fox News. Crisis on the southern border, even as they report on the fact that we have huge numbers of illegals now trying to get into the United States across the northern border, and no one's even looking at what's happening along our 95,000 miles of coastline. So we have a laser focus on the southern border. And then if you remember a couple of days ago, there was a story about all these aliens who surged across the bridge into El Paso from Mexico and the Border Patrol and CBP and the local law enforcement and state police blocked them off at the bridge and we declared it to be a success. Well, it's good we stopped them. But the reports that I read said that those people that surged across the bridge had been given literature, probably by the drug cartels and human traffickers, generally one and the same these days, telling them that this was a special day and if you could get across the bridge, you would be let in. So they had a human tsunami attack the bridge. Unbelievable. And the media reported on it. You saw all these people surging towards the bridge, and we stopped them. Wow, I'm glad we stopped them. Here's the question. While our overwhelmed Border Patrol was on that bridge in El Paso, how many illegal aliens, how many uh, packages of drugs or maybe weapons of mass destruction, God only knows, float across our border 10, 15, 20, 100 miles away from the bridge in El Paso? There's a famous story, for those of you who are World War II buffs, aficionados, whatever you want to call it, it's called the Calais Deception. The Calais Deception was something that General Eisenhower and the other generals came up with because they knew that if our guys attempted the D-Day invasion and the Germans could mass all their forces there, our forces would not have succeeded. They would have walked into a buzzsaw and, and D-Day would have failed. So they created a deception that we were coming in through Calais. And they convinced the Nazis that, yes, the, the Americans and the Brits and the Allies are coming through Calais. So not knowing what to do, they divided their resources. The Germans did. The Nazis did. So many of the positions in Nor- at, the, at Normandy on the beach were left empty while they diverted their resources to Calais. And General George Patton, who was at odds with his superiors, was the leader of this phantom army. They used inflatable trucks and inflatable tanks. And during the night, by cover of darkness, they had men out there with tractor tra- the uh, tractor treads, making it appear that those tanks were actual tanks that had driven onto the beach at Calais. So by daybreak, when the Germans flew over the beach, they saw the tracks in the sand, and they saw what looked like from the air to be trucks and tanks and all kinds of uh, vehicles and artillery, um, you know, big guns and so forth. They were fooled, and as a consequence, half of the positions at Normandy were unmanned. 
and that's part of why our guys were able to succeed, but at great cost, uh, certainly. And many were wounded, killed. It was a bloodbath. But it worked in terms of uh, the beginning of the end of the Second World War, the beginning of the end, okay? But it was because of the Calais deception. This is almost like the Calais deception here. We've got all the Border Patrol tied up on the bridge, and what was happening down the road from the bridge, only God knows. We have no idea who came in, what terrorists, what drugs, what weapons, because everybody was focused on that bridge at El Paso. No one's talking about that either. No one's talking about any of these issues. So all we're hearing is how many illegal aliens, it's like a box score. And then we're told how many people on the terror watch list have been found. And, of course, we have record numbers of those. But most terrorists, I can tell you this from personal experience, aren't on any terror watch list. Sleeper agents are called sleepers because they are unknown to us. <clears throat> they keep a low profile once they get into the country, and they wait instructions to carry out a deadly attack. And if you don't think there are sleeper agents already pre-positioned in the United States, you're crazy. So now we come to a very disturbing story. And in fact, it was part, I, I provided a link to one of the reports from U.S. News and World Reports about how our commanding generals uh, are, are telling us that ISIS, ISIS-K, responsible for the suicide bombing in Afghanistan when the Biden administration suddenly turned tail and fled, the first in the history of this great nation. Branding our allies, surprising everybody, we vanished into the night. And we had chaos. And in the middle of all the chaos, there was a bombing that killed American soldiers and wounded many more. Many civilians were injured and killed and so forth. But now Secretary of State Blinken says, we need to go back and look at what happened in Afghanistan when we left. It's an interesting point that he's saying this now as we have a commander from that region of our army saying, ISIS-K is reconstituting itself and within six months will be capable of carrying out without warning terror attacks um, around the world. Not in the United States so far, but certainly attack U.S. interests around the world six months from now. All because of what Biden did. And there's no accountability. You know, I was a law enforcement officer for 30 years. If a law enforcement officer uses excessive force, deadly force, in the heat of battle. Remember, the, the, the politicians' lives aren't on the line. But a police officer, federal agent, first responders, people that are out there in the field, their lives are on the line. The decisions they make can be irrevocable. Their lives are at stake, their partners' lives, innocent people. And if they overreact, if they take the wrong action, if somebody dies as a consequence of what is then or subsequently determined to be a mistake, they face consequences. They can be suspended, they can be fired, they can be criminally prosecuted, they can go to jail. And we've seen that happen. In the heat of battle, cop makes a bad decision, under stress, fires his weapon, fires her weapon. They're made accountable. This administration has made decision after decision that has resulted in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Americans between the drugs and the criminal aliens and bail reform. Carnage, mass carnage. I've yet to see a single politician go to jail or even be fired 
because of the decisions. Yes, Lori Lightfoot was removed as mayor from Chicago because she turned Chicago into a big disaster. But my goodness, how many police officers have been investigated, have been penalized because they made bad decisions under extreme pressure? What extreme pressure did Lori Lightfoot have or these other mayors and governors as they party and dance around and celebrate their, their power as politicians and ignoring the will or the well-being of the people that they were elected to serve. You would think that the citizens are there to serve the politicians rather than the other way around. And the politicians face no consequences. Never mind how many people have died because of the drugs or how many people died because we let gang members in or how many people died because felons were released without bail they went out and killed more people, raped more women, committed more armed robberies. No consequences for the politicians. I remember people dying because detainers lodged by immigration agents were ignored and the criminals went out and killed people and the sheriff who released them or the mayors who ordered their release, whatever. No consequences. The only consequences were borne by the victims of the criminals that should never have been released in the first place. And now we're being told that the way we left Afghanistan has enabled ISIS-K to rebuild. Think of all of the American lives lost. Think of all the Americans who came home grievously wounded, ending the reign of terror by ISIS in Afghanistan. Well, just like Freddy Krueger, they're back. Thank you, Joe Biden and company. And Secretary of State Blinken is saying, yeah, maybe we ought to look at how this all happened. Really? Now? Now? Why? Could it be because he listened to that statement by that general who said that six months from now, ISIS will be in the position to carry out terrorist attacks? So Blinken says, oh, boy, uh, this could come back and haunt me. So I'm going to create a smoke screen so it looks like I'm trying to be responsible. Too little, too late, as far as I'm concerned, for all of this. We left behind an arsenal of weapons. We released thousands of known terrorists. We admitted people from Afghanistan without vetting them. I reported on this a couple of weeks ago that the FBI was given something in the order, I believe, I'm not looking at my notes right now, but it was, I believe, $11 million to look for the Afghanis that we admitted who may be connected to terrorism. They're here. We don't know where they are, but they're here. We don't know what they're doing, but whatever they're doing, they're doing it here. And so now the FBI is asking for emergency funding so that they could look for them. And in the omnibus spending bill, this monstrosity of a bill that's running up our deficit and contributed to the banking disaster and everything else, $4 billion were allocated to deal with the southern border. Not to secure it, God forbid. Oh, no, 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 no but to provide housing and education and clothing and God knows what else. But the money isn't going to go to the aliens or the migrants, as the media likes to call them. It's going to go to the non-government organizations that laughably are referred to as nonprofits. They get hundreds of millions of dollars in contracts, but they're nonprofits. Wow. Nonprofit, my backside. So this is a massive spending program 
to reward the companies that undoubtedly will make campaign contributions. So the money goes round and round. We have millions of illegal aliens in the country impacting the environment, impacting critical infrastructure, impacting criminal justice, impacting education and health care, and impacting public safety and national security. And at the same time, the Biden administration wants to eliminate gas stoves and gas water heaters. We've got to clean up the environment. We're supposed to use only clean electricity, never mind how we generate the electricity. But if you keep bringing more people into the country, they all need water, they all need sewers, they all need electricity. So we've let in God knows how many millions, and now the Democrat Party is proposing comprehensive immigration reform. So let's take all these millions of people who snuck into the country, including the getaways, and God only knows how many of those there are, but there's a whole bunch of those gotaways, right? The Border Patrol saw them running, but they couldn't catch up with them. There they go. They're off to the races, the gotaways. And we're going to give them legal status. We're not sure about their identities. We don't know when they got here. We don't know who they're affiliated with. They don't know what their backgrounds are. But we're going to legalize them, and then they can bring in all of their minor children and their spouses. So God only knows we could wind up with 100 million more immigrants coming into the United States legally, but without any meaningful vetting whatsoever. It comes back to how do we process them. This is not survivable. It's not sustainable, and it's not survivable. And I want to know what the ultimate goal is of these lunatic politicians that are trying to destroy the United States. And if you dare to say that you, you, you shouldn't be doing this, well, then you're branded anti-immigrant. I've, I've heard that enough times. There's nothing anti-immigrant about enforcing America's immigration laws. Again, I will tell you, go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. It makes it crystal clear that the purpose of our immigration laws, the purposes are protect public health, public safety, national security, and the jobs and wages of Americans. That's not anti-immigrant. Securing the border against criminals, you wind up with criminal aliens from all over the world. This isn't one flavor, okay? Human nature is universal. Every race, every religion, every ethnicity, every nationality has the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's called human nature. Human nature. And where do you think alien criminals live? They live within the ethnic communities that most resemble them. Why? It's easier to hide when you look like everybody around you and it's the place that you're most comfortable to be, where you speak the language, you're used to the food, uh, and you understand the culture. Where else are you going to live? If you're Asian, you're not going to look to live in the Jamaican community. If you're Jamaican, you're not going to look to live in the Colombian community. I mean, it's common sense. So who is at risk when we allow criminal aliens into the United States? The greatest risk is actually to the immigrant communities in which these people set up shop. That's why we call them transnationals. Why? Because they have their buddies back in their home country. So if somebody in that immigrant community cooperates with the police, they could find that guy's brother, sister, mother, father, whomever, and, and take it out on them back in the home country and threaten them with it. You know? You cooperate with the police, your brother's going to disappear. You cooperate with the police, my friends are going to visit your sister tomorrow night. We're going to have a party. And it's anti-immigrants to try to stop this lunacy from happening. We've seen record numbers of children who came here across the border being worked illegally in violation of child labor laws for all the complaints about humanity and compassion. And what happened to that? 
What happened to that? What in the world are we doing? This is an organized invasion of the United States, and that's the reason that I don't refer to these aliens as migrants. If they don't want to use the word alien, because God forbid it's accurate, this nonsense started with Jimmy Carter, then let's call them what they are. These so-called migrants are clients. They are clients of immigration law firms. They are clients of the NGOs. Everyone's making money off this. That's why they allocated 10, I'm sorry, $4 billion, $4 billion. To do what? To circulate the money within this business model, if you will, immigration industrial complex. So you have the lawyers and you have the NGOs and nonprofits, unbelievable nonprofits. Everyone is feeding at the trough, and who's losing? America and Americans are losing. And that's why I no longer talk about America first, because that's nonsense. America first means we take care of the banks, we take care of the car companies that got the bailouts, and then they built their factories in China. That's America first, so they can slap an American flag. Oh, yes, we used American components, so there's an American flag. Yeah, okay, sure thing. Lots of luck. No. I want to see a policy of Americans first. We, the people, the American citizens first. That makes sense. That goes along with Abraham Lincoln's aspirational view of America, a country of the people, by the people, and for the people. This nonsense of America first is all about corporate America that got us into this disaster in the first place because they've been bribing the politicians from both parties. And it's interesting that Bernie Sanders was on with Bill Maher a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about something that I've been talking about for quite some time. And it was the Supreme Court decision called Citizens United, which meant that essentially unlimited amounts of money could be pumped into political campaigns. The Democrat Party was originally the party that was strongest on border security and immigration law enforcement to protect the jobs and wages of Americans, who used to be their constituents. Used to be. Bernie uh, Sanders made that point. He said, if you go back to the days of John F. Kennedy and you ask what party represented the average working American, almost everybody would have said the Democrats. He said, not anymore. They're taking money from the same people that the Republicans are taking money from. And the people that are giving them the money want open borders and cheap labor and the ability to move money around. Do you realize what would happen if the drug money was pulled out of the economy? Do you realize how much of the Billions and billions of dollars, maybe it's trillions of dollars from the drug trade are laundered through Wall Street banking and real estate. They count on that money. And we're expecting Mexico to help us. For Mexico, the money wired back to Mexico is their second largest form of revenue. Maybe it's their first largest if, if you go beyond the visible money, the wired money. Money gets smuggled and moved across borders or being converted to gold or other precious materials. So I would argue that the number one source of revenue for the Mexican economy is the money being pumped into Mexico from the United States and a couple of other countries. That's where the money's coming from. So do you really think that the president of Mexico wants to cut off his number one source of revenue and piss off the drug cartels? which would probably put a bullseye on him overnight. And we're going to depend on Mexico to help us solve our problem that undermines public health, national security, public safety, and the jobs and wages of American workers. Are you serious?
Believe me, it is not in Mexico's interest to help us. It really isn't. They're making out like bandits, literally, between the drug trade and the remittances being wired home by their workers here in this country. They have no real interest in working with us. And to think otherwise is nonsense. This is a serious problem. And we're being told that ISIS will be ready to carry out attacks beginning in six months. Let me go into some of the stuff that was in the 9-11 Commission report. Uh, you know, I provided testimony to the Commission. I testified before so many hearings. And what I find particularly frustrating, at least for me, is that I went to Washington, I participated in the hearings, I gave testimony to the 9-11 Commission, and, and, and I'm trying to figure out why I bothered. Because if you look at what the Biden administration has been doing, it runs 180 degrees in opposition to the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. There was also another report that goes along with the 9-11 Commission report. It's called 9-11 and Terrorist Travel. And this was an official government report that was authored by the federal agents and attorneys who were assigned to the 9-11 Commission. It was actually published by the U.S. Government Printing Office. So this is an official report. It's not like a supermarket tabloid. So let's start out with the preface of the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. And I want you to think very carefully about how this starts out. I know I've quoted this before, but it's important to think about it today. As we're being told that ISIS is six months away from being operationally prepared to do what they want to do. Now, they're saying that in this country. I'm not so sure, to be honest with you. This is the stuff that keeps me awake at night. I lived through 9-11 here in New York uh, over 20 years ago. So here's the beginning statement to the preface. This explains why they did this extra report. It says this. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe for reasons we discussed in the following pages that it must be made one. Now, who in the world has been running the agencies that they couldn't figure out that border security is national security? Where do we get these so-called leaders from? There's a lot of villages missing their idiots, apparently. But this is the 9-11 Commission staff report. And notice, they didn't say running the border. That's not to say, they don't want someone to say, oh, Cutler doesn't think we should support, we should secure the border. We have to secure the border against illegal entry. All right, let's be very clear. I was on a radio show the other day, and, and, and the host said, Mike, you made it sound like you didn't think that the Mexican border was a big deal. I said, no, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal because, in point of fact, there was a hearing back in 2018 about Iran operating in, in, in Latin America stating that Hezbollah, which has its origins in Lebanon, but Hezbollah is a terrorist organization that is funded and controlled by Iran, which is on the precipice of getting a nuclear weapon, apparently, by the way. Hezbollah is working with human traffickers and drug smugglers to flood people and narcotics into the United States, both to fund their terrorist activities around the world and to provide them with opportunities to move sleeper agents into the United States to carry out attacks if and when they decide to do so. 
And then you've got to look at the tri-border region of Brazil, where Brazil abuts with Argentina and Paraguay, because there are terror training camps in that region, being run by Hamas, Hezbollah, probably ISIS, and Al-Qaeda in our hemisphere. So the Mexican border is a humongous issue, but it's, the problem is it's not the only issue. It is a big gaping hole in the bottom of our boat, but it's not the only hole in the bottom of the boat. So the question that we have to ask is how many holes do you need in the bottom of your boat before the boat goes down to the bottom of the lake? Last count, the number was one. But this is only one of many. That's the point. That's why I mentioned the over 800,000 people that are being processed for admission into the United States each and every day as of last year. No one's even talking about those. No one's talking about who we're giving citizenship to without doing proper background investigations. We've naturalized terrorists. And if you consider what that means, it's outrageous because citizenship provides the alien who is now an American with the key to the kingdom. It makes the border wall go away. Everyone says, well, if they build a 20-foot wall, they'll come with a 25-foot ladder. They don't need a 25-foot ladder. If they come with a green card or they come with a U.S. passport, they walk through the port of entry and they're welcome. Welcome home, sir. Good to see you, ma'am. Who needs a ladder when you can put a little piece of cardboard or, or, or a little booklet, your U.S. passport in your pocket, and be invited in like visiting royalty or, or returning royalty, right? No one talks about that. Immigration fraud, big deal, very big deal. The very first time I testified before Congress is May 20th, 1997, four and a half years before the terror attacks of 9-11. And the predication for that hearing was the terror attacks carried out in the United States in 1993. January 93, a Pakistani by the name of Kansi flies for asylum, flies into a courier van service, drives into the parking lot of the CIA in Virginia, but instead of coming out with packages, because he had a permit that allowed him to park in the parking lot, he came out with an AK-47 and opened fire. He killed two CIA officers, wounded others, fled the country. Criminal aliens, terrorist aliens have an escape hatch. They leave the country, and very often they are able to get away from the long arm of the law. But not in the case of Kansi, given the nature of his crimes. Our guys tracked him down, working with Pakistani intelligence. He was found, brought back, put on trial, found guilty, and executed. It did not bring back anybody who was dead, and it didn't heal the wounds of those that he shot. One month later, we have the bombing at the World Trade Center. Six dead, over 1,000 injured, a half billion in damages. They almost brought the tower down sideways, which might have cost hundreds of thousands of people their lives. Every single participant in that attack was a citizen of a Middle Eastern country who had one way or another gained the immigration system and committed immigration fraud. When was the last time you heard anything about immigration fraud? You have the Democrat Party saying we need to have comprehensive immigration reform, an open invitation to fraud. In fact, some of the people that were involved in the 93 attack at the Trade Center got amnesty through the Reagan amnesty program, claiming to be agricultural workers and so forth. Mahmoud Abu Alima claimed he picked beans in Florida. Right? closest he ever came to a farm was when he drove his cab in New York past Central Park. So we, we know how they attacked us the last time, and they're gearing up again. And this administration made it possible for this to, God forbid, happen. So don't you think that every politician should re be required to read the 9-11 Commission report? 
Don't you think every politician should be required to read the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel? Don't you think that every official, every administrator, every manager in federal law enforcement should be compelled to read the entire reports so they understand the playbook? That was the point to the 9-11 Commission. This wasn't just some historic document. Gee, I'm curious what happened. Oh, all right, let's figure it out. No, this was a how-to how to protect America. When an airplane crashes, the FAA comes out, the NTSB comes out, and they conduct an investigation. It's not an, an exercise in academia. They prepare a report to address the failures that led to a fatal plane accident so that it doesn't happen again. When Space Shuttle Challenger blew up, there was a commission that studied it to modify the space shuttle so it wouldn't happen again. They found that it was the O-rings that gotten brittle in the cold weather, so they changed the design of the O-rings. For what purpose? So that we wouldn't lose another space shuttle. When Columbia disintegrated as it re-entered the atmosphere, there was another commission. What was the purpose of the commission? To find out what went wrong to modify the space shuttle so it wouldn't happen again. The purpose of the 9-11 Commission report was to identify as many vulnerabilities as possible so that we could eliminate the vulnerabilities within reason so that we wouldn't get attacked again. Isn't that rational? Isn't that what you would expect? My father used to say to me, Mike, there's no mistakes in life, only lessons, provided you learn from what goes wrong. He said, you make a mistake, there's a consequence, consider that a lesson. But if you continue to make the same mistake and get the same outcome, that's unforgivable. You know, insanity is doing the same thing the same way and expecting a different result. We're being warned that ISIS is reconstituting itself on the United States of America. Why are we not requiring our politicians to study the 9-11 Commission report? Dust the damn thing off and figure out where we're vulnerable and address the vulnerabilities so more Americans don't die. Of course, if God forbid there's another attack, no politician is going to go to jail. Hundreds of thousands of Americans are dead because we failed to prevent the flow of drugs, and we've failed to convince Americans to stop taking drugs. We haven't done anything about that. And for the politicians, it's just another day. And for the people that move the drug money around, it's more wealth in their pockets. And when the banks screw up, they're protected. Everybody's protected except the poor schmuck who's walking home from work late at night or coming home from school who gets raped, mugged, stabbed, robbed, shot, whatever. Oh, they pay the price. But the crooked politician who put the criminals back out on the street, la-di-da, another day, who cares, collateral damage got to stop we've been warned isis is gearing up they are reconstituting themselves largely because of what this administration did when we turned tail and ran like cowards out of afghanistan it wasn't our military that turned tail it was joe biden who turned tail because he gave the damn orders you know harry truman was right when he said that the buck stops here and that sign sat on the desk in the oval office this is an unprecedented disaster and the consequence is that we are now vulnerable and we could face another attack. So don't you think 
It should be a requirement for every one of our leaders to read the 9-11 Commission report to figure out what went wrong then to make sure we don't let history repeat itself again. Isn't that rational? Isn't that logical? Isn't that reasonable? Why is no one even asking about that? Why is no one even mentioning the 9-11 Commission report? When Donald Trump was debating Joe Biden, brilliant debater that he was, he asked Joe, Joe, can you spell law enforcement? I thought, my dear God, I was on the debating teams in high school and college. If I asked such a question during a debate, I would have been thrown off the team. The question that Trump should have asked Joe Biden, hey, Joe, have you read the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel? Have you read the 9-11 Commission report? Do you not think a massive amnesty program for aliens who snuck into the country that you're advocating would create gaps so big you could fly an airplane through it? The immigration system has to have integrity. The problem is the immigration system has as much integrity as our corrupt politicians. Because what they have here now is an immigration delivery system. It delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor. And it's not just the illegals. It's the high-tech visas. There was a, a guy running for president. I, I hardly think he's a serious candidate, given how many people are involved. But the point is, we need to have a merit-based immigration system. And everybody claps. Yay! What does that mean? We need to find lots of hard-working foreign workers so we can fire Americans and drive down their wages. That's what it means. When people say, well, the Republicans have been looking for cheap labor, that's not quite right. Not quite right. They want to cheapen the value of labor, and you do that by flooding the labor pool. In economics, when you flood a commodity into the marketplace, it is called dumping, and it is illegal. And that is what's happening to America. Millions of foreign workers being dumped onto the labor pool. And what's the result? Displaced Americans, displaced lawful immigrant workers, and suppressed wages. That's what happens. That's why Americans can't buy homes. The house I'm in was the house my parents bought when I was 11 years old. It cost roughly three times my father's annual pay as a construction worker. He was a tradesman, a plumber. Today, the average construction worker would need to spend between 10 and 12 times his annual pay to buy this very same house. How do you do that? And the answer is you can't. And that's why housing is increasingly going out of reach of the average American. That's why you have kids still living at home. The middle class is shot. This is by design. Alan Greenspan had said when he testified for Chuck Schumer back on April the 30th, 2009, at a hearing on comprehensive immigration reform, he said, we need to do exactly what Bill Gates wants. Isn't that great? Bill Gates can place his order like he's in a restaurant and they deliver what he wants. We need to do what Bill Gates wants, and that's to give us an unlimited supply of H-1B high-tech visas, because by doing that, you can get American workers to lose a big part of that wage premium. Think of that. Lose the wage premium. And then you greatly reduce inequality in wages between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. So in other words, if you can make Americans compete with third-world workers, they're going to have to settle for third-world wages and working conditions, turning America into a third-world country. We're almost there. We're getting there. We're getting there. 
and then you eliminate the middle class. So the working poor will no longer have anyone to be envious of. This is by design. And it's both political parties that have done this. Because both political parties, as Bernie Sanders pointed out, are taking money from the very same people. And the people that are providing the money, they are driven by greed. Most people are happy if they could buy a small house, go on vacation, buy a car, and, 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 and amazingly fill the gas tank. That's all they want, be able to send their kids to school, be able to live their lives in peace. That's the new American, downsized American dream, and it's not being realized for many Americans. Housing is out of reach. Cars are out of reach. Everything is out of reach because of rampant inflation brought about by the policies of this administration and, quite frankly, by the Republicans also. This has been a disaster for the average American, and we're weakening our country at a time when China is on the ascendancy and makes no bones about it. Their goal is to take over the world. And if they take over the world, it will not be good for America. They hate us. They are authoritarians, and there is no morality to the way they lead. They run concentration camps. There's no such thing as civil liberties in China, playing footsie. And who do we hold accountable? Well, you could point to one administration after the other, both parties, but no one's going to hold them accountable because they are the ruling elite. They get to do what they want. That's why they come to Washington with a couple of bucks in their pocket, by the time they leave, they're multimillionaires. These are the ruling elite, and it's both political parties. Make no mistake about it. And we, the people, are paying the price. And now America's national security is on the line. And what are we going to do about it? What in the world are we going to do about it as we're witnessing the ascendancy, not only of China, but Iran with their nuclear weapons, and the fact that ISIS is being reconstituted in Afghanistan because of the circumstances under which we left. And the 9-11 Commission report is crystal clear about this. So, so let's, let's look at a couple of other quick things here before we run out of time. Here's a statement from that same 9-11 Commission staff report. Once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. For example, Yusuf and Ajaj concocted bogus political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. We now have millions of people who applied for asylum. They don't qualify for asylum. I've made this point before. I'll make it again. Asylum is only for people who, because of race, religion, ethnicity, uh, tribal affiliation, sexual orientation, or political beliefs face persecution or worse in their home country. Poverty is not, a, is not a qualifier. But we're calling them asylum applicants, and the mayor of New York is going to give the asylum applicants a free college education. Won't do it for a, an American living in poverty, but we'll do it for illegal aliens who utter the magic words, political asylum. Oh, okay, come on in, Charlie. What do you want? New clothing? Would you like an apartment? Would you like... Really? Does this make sense to anybody? If you get only one opportunity for a first impression, what is, what's the first impression of these people who've been able to flow across our borders easily with no passports, no nothing, and we are rolling out the red carpet while Americans can't even figure out how to buy a home? Maybe we should renounce our citizenship and become illegal aliens. I mean, goodness gracious. 
But let me continue on. So Yusuf Arajan concocted bogus political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. Mahmoud Abu Alima, involved in both the World Trade Center and Landmark Plus, received temporary residence under the seasonal agriculture worker program after falsely claiming he picked beans in Florida. By the way, temporary worker status is DACA. And again, he lied about working on a farm. Mohammed Salome, who rented the truck used in the bombing, overstayed his tourist visa. He then applied for permanent residency under the Agricultural Worker Program, but was rejected. Ayad Mahmoud Ishmael, who drove the van containing the bomb, took English language classes at Wichita State University in Kansas on a student visa, after which he dropped out but remained in the United States out of status. So you have an illegal alien driving the truck with the bomb and another illegal alien renting the truck. And now we give driver's licenses to illegal aliens. What are we doing? Now we get to another one. This is on page 54. Although there's evidence that some land and sea border entries of terrorists without inspection occurred, these conspirators mainly subverted the legal entry system by entering at airports, going back to that over 800,000 that are processed for admission every day, every day, right? And in so doing, they relied on a wide variety of fraudulent documents, on aliases, and on government corruption. Because terrorist operations were not suicide missions in the early to mid-1990s, once in the United States, terrorists and their supporters tried to get legal immigration status that would permit them to remain here, primarily by committing serial or repeated immigration fraud, by claiming political asylum. Again, we come back to that. And by marrying Americans. Many of these tactics remain largely unchanged and undetected through the 1990s up to the 9-11 attack. By the way, an alien who's arrested now, um, their hearing date won't be until 2032. So they can wander around the country for nine years or whatever. Think about that. And think of this statement, again, from that report. Less abuse of the immigration system and a lack of interior immigration enforcement. That goes well beyond the southern border, interior enforcement. I've been harping on this forever. A lack of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activity. Okay? Then they have here exploring the link between human smugglers and terrorists. In July 2001, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Okay? Indeed, there's evidence that suggests that since 1999, human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups. With their global reach and connection to fraudulent document vendors and corrupt government officials, human smugglers clearly have the, quote, credentials necessary to aid terrorist travel. And finally, page 98, terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen Achieving temporary worker status, again, I remind you, that's DACA, folks, right? Temporary status or applying for asylum. Here we go again. And they've overwhelmed the asylum system so that it's, it's fried. That's what Biden did intentionally. That's what this administration and the Democrats are doing. And when there was a hearing on the border where the chief of the Border Patrol contradicted Mayorkas and said, we do not have operational control, where were the Democrats? What was their reaction? There was none because they refused to attend the hearing. The purpose for hearings is to gather the facts so that our leaders can make proper decisions based on information provided by the experts. I've testified before something like 16 or 17 hearings in Washington. And generally, both parties are there. 
They may not agree with you, but they need to hear the perspectives of everybody from every side to gather the evidence, gather the information to make sound policy decisions. The Democrats were missing in action. Why? It wasn't one or two. No Democrat attended a field hearing about the crisis on the border, and Biden called it a political stunt. A political stunt? To listen to the testimony of the chief of the U.S. Border Patrol is a political stunt? It's unbelievable. So it goes on and says, as already discussed, this can be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, or applying for asylum after entering. Now listen to this carefully. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Today, folks, we're talking about maybe 10 years in some cases. 10 years to wander around the country without any concerns about immigration. Because if you find somebody who has a hearing date months from now or years from now, what action are you going to take? He's waiting to go to court. He may not show up and there's no one that's going to look for them. That's why any administration coming in in 2024 needs to beef up ICE by by goodness. They're talking about 87,000 IRS agents. We need 87,000 ICE agents and other resources, okay? But that's the key, not Border Patrol at this point as much as ICE. The act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Now listen to this. Terrorists. Terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. We now have millions of such aliens floating around the country who among them are terrorists? Well, if let's say 5 million aliens were admitted and 1% are terrorists, you do the math and realize what just 19 terrorists did to us on 9-11. And no one's jumping up and down and no one's talking about the 9-11 commission report. That report must be made required reading for every one of our politicians on every level so that they understand that the decisions they make could cost us another terror attack, and God forbid, I don't even know how many people might die. Remember, if the towers had come down sideways in 93, it was estimated that hundreds of thousands would have been killed on that day. And what are we doing? Nothing. This is nuts. It keeps me awake at night. And as I told Jim Sensenbrenner when he was chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, I said, Mr. Chairman, if I can't sleep at night, sure as hell, I don't want you sleeping at night. All I ask, folks, is have conversations with your neighbors. Provide them with a link to a podcast of my program and my articles at Front Page Magazine. Get involved. Be part of my bucket brigade of truth, because I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. Don't argue with your neighbors. Sit down and find common ground. Because I don't care what your political orientations are. As Americans, there's far more that unites us than divides us. And we need to be united now as never before. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a great weekend. See you next week, right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Good night.